0: So, Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 9, Chapter 9. So, today we are doing Canto 9 and Chapter 9. <coughs> this is the dynasty of Amshuman. Uh, if you recollect Amshuman from the previous chapter, uh, we are continuing with the same story. So, the yagya which was performed and so on and so forth, and you know the horse which went away. So, all that ex- last time we did the story yesterday. So, we will start from Chapter 9. The dynasty of Amshuman. So we are going towards the Ishwaku dynasty, where uh, we will come to know about Sri Ram. So how this happens? Sukdev Goswami continued. King Amshuman, like his grandfather performed austerities for a very long time. Nonetheless, he could not bring the Ganga to the material world, and thereafter, in due course of time, he died. <coughs> like Amshuman himself, Dilipa, the son, was unable to bring the Ganga. To the material world and he also became a victim of death in due course of time then dilipa's son bhagirathi performed a very severe austerity to bring the ganga to this material world now bhagirathi is a very very famous name it is uh, associated with ganga because he brought the ganga from the heaven to the earth uh, simply it translates into that ganga was living at the feet of krishna now While she was living at the feet of Krishna, uh, if you recollect the story which I had told y'all, I don't know whether you remember it, but still I will repeat it for you. This is a story where, uh, in the goal of Krishna is uh, dealing with Ganga. Ganga is a very beautiful woman. So, at that point in time, Radha, who has gone away somewhere, she gets very angry. And uh, <clears throat> so what happens is She curses Ganga when she comes At that point in time Ganga melts and becomes I mean to hide from her To hide from the wrath of Radha She becomes, She goes and hides in the feet of Krishna Under Krishna's feet And that is how Ganga flows from the feet of Krishna It is said like that Okay, so uh, that's a story in short. So, here the Ganga is basically from the Goloka. Now she has to come down down to earth. So, Bhagirathi is a person who is in the dynasty of Amshuman. How he brings him, her down. Thereafter, Mother Ganga appeared before King Bhagirathi and said, I am very much satisfied with your austerities. And I am now prepared to give you benediction as you desire. Being thus addressed by Ganga Devi, Mother Ganga, the king, bowed his head before her and explained his desire. Mother Ganga replied, When I fall from the sky to the surface of the planet Earth, the water will certainly be very forceful. Who will sustain that force? If I am not sustained, I shall pierce the surface of the Earth and go down to Rasatara, the patal area of the universe. So, Ganga flows in, in a torrential way form. She comes in the form of a rain and it's in the form of a glacier in the Himalayas and when the glacier melts, the tremendous amount of force that she carries with her It is impossible to stand inside the Ganga river water, you know It is so strong, currents are there that the moment you, you know, go inside the Ganga river you are dragged in by the force of the water so whether you are in Haridwar or Rishikesh or for that matter, even uh, where we have the Triveni Sangam, you need to have some something to hold on to. And actually there are some, uh, chains put all over the place which you have to hold tightly if you actually want to take a Gangasana. And there is only one place where Ganga is caught in a place. Okay? And at that particular place, you can actually you can take a dip. You can take a dip and you can swim for some time over there if you want to. Uh, this particular place is called Harkepawri. Harkepawri is in Haridwar, where uh, Brahmaji had asked uh, Krishna or Vishnu that uh, if you would be kind enough to uh, put your feet inside this water again and stay over there. So if you see this Harki Pauri is a place where the, the power, basically the feet, pauri, is embedded inside the water somewhere deep down and the water keeps on flowing from top of that. So naturally it is said to be a very holy place and those who go to the Ganga river to take water so that they can use it for purification of their houses and so on and so forth they normally pick this particular place Har Kipavari, where they fill the water and they bring it to their place, wherever they are. So, <clears throat> so now what happens, let us see. Ma, Mother Ganga is saying that, you know, when I fall, I am very much in a torrent and there might be a problem. So, if I am not sustained, I shall pierce the surface of the earth and go down to Rasatara, the pata area of the universe, O King. I do not wish to go down to the planet earth, for there the people in general will bathe in my water to cleanse themselves of the reactions of their sinful deeds. When all these sinful reactions accumulate in me, how shall I become free from them? You must consider this very carefully. So she is telling, you see, normally what happens is anybody who, which is, it is mentioned in our Puran also, that anybody who takes a bath, in the Ganga river is purified of all his sins you know all his sins are washed away and especially when you are about to die you take a little drink of that water or put it on yourself and it is said that you become purified and after that you are you do not have any sins supposedly if that is the case then even the worst kind of characters on earth will want to have a last wig you know Ek laga do, House. That would not be the case, by the way. So, Bhagirath said, Those who are saintly because of devotional service and are therefore in the renounced order, free from material desires and who are pure devotees, expert in following the regulative principles, mentioned in the Vedas are always glorious and pure in behavior and are able to deliver all fallen souls. Now, Bhagirath is giving an explanation. When such pure devotees bathe in your water, the sinful reactions accumulated from other people will certainly be counteracted. For such devotees always keep in the core of their heart the supreme personality of Godhead who can vanquish all sinful reactions. Now what is the meaning of these words? Here what happens is, there are great sages, there are very skillful people in this planet earth who are very devoted to the Lord. So what do they do? They do not have any sins associated with them. remember these people are realized people they are completely sinless and they have gone beyond the three gunas now what happens is they come in contact with those sinful people that means from the material world people who are there so if these people are coming in contact with these guys there is an absorption of their sins as well normally the great sages they absorb the the karma of other people now what happens to this karma this karma needs to be removed from the system how do you remove them so the method is simplified by means of suppose they were to take a bath in the ganga river so this particular sins will be uh, completely nullified since basically here it's not sin like i said it's karma so associate karma that comes with it associate is because of association with somebody else these great people associate with xyz and that association brings us back to the base you know like karma is associated with these people so what happens so they have to be pure isn't it all all the time so that is the reason why you need to be here like a cloth woven of threads extending for its length and breadth the entire universe in all its latitude and longitude is situated under different potencies of the supreme personality of Godhead Lord Shiva is the incarnation of the Lord and thus he represents the super soul in the embodied soul he can sustain your forceful waves on his head so at this at this particular point in time he is suggesting that uh, uh, you'll have to mute your mic tatarao all right so like a cloth woven of threads so basically what is he saying that across the length and the breadth of the entire the whole the earth the lord is living in different different forms Now, I don't know whether you all understand this. It's like this, you know. Those who have gone to a particular place, that place is called a Kshetra. Kshetra, a place, a location. So, you will find that there are certain Kshetras associated with Shivji. Certain Kshetras associated with Vishnu. Certain Kshetras associated with Parshuram, And various other people. You know, you will find that A particular location will be addressed as per the Kshetra of that particular person. A location where that particular entity rules. So considering that the Lord has divided himself into various entities. So he says in the Himalayas the Lord is in the form of Shivji. Who is the basic soul. Who is the soul, the super soul of that. So he says... Maybe Shivji can do something about it. Maybe what Shivji could do, he could lock her in his hair. He has what he calls as jata. Jata means, you know, uh, people, those who do not wash their hair for a very long time and they do not comb it. What happens to their hair? Their hair becomes in the form of clumps. And then they don't cut their hair, also, it grows very long. Okay? And this particular reason, this is the reason why they have jatas. So Shivji is known as a jatadhari. He is always sitting in a meditation posture in the Himalayas and uh, he normally has the jatas. You know, he sits in one place for a very, very long time. So, jatadhari as we call him. So, uh, his hair is very strong. After saying this, Bhagirath satisfied Lord Shiva by performing the austerities. O King Parikshit, Lord Shiva was very quickly satisfied with Bhagirath. That is, Bhagirath goes and prays to Shiva. And when he prays to Shiva, Shiva is very, very pleased with him. So what does he say? And King Bhagirath approached Lord Shiva and requested him to sustain the forceful waves of Ganga, Lord Shiva accepted the proposal by saying, let it be so. Then with great attention, he sustained the Ganga on his head for the water of the Ganga is purifying, having emanated from the toes of Lord Vishnu. And now you remember, this is the story of the toes of Lord Vishnu. From Lord Vishnu to the head of, who To the head of Shiva. And from Shiva, it flows down onto the Indian continent, subcontinent. The great and saintly King Bhagirath brought the Ganga, which can deliver all fallen souls, to the place on earth where the bodies of the forefathers lay burnt to ashes. Yeah, there are, in Along the river Ganga, you will find that there are various places where bodies are burnt and then they are pushed inside the river. Most of the bodies are half burnt. In today's day and age also, people, they burn the bodies. I mean, in thousands they come to either Banaras or some such place. They burn the bodies half burnt and then they push it down the river. Uh, It's supposed to be a purifying act. So, I believe, Hindus believe in that. So here also he says the same thing and especially if it is done near triveni Sangam, where three rivers are meeting at that place it is said to be very very holy and uh, the person who whose body is burnt at that point reaches the heavens I believe uh, when Ramakrishna Paramahansa had gone to this place And uh, when he was passing through this Manikarnika Ghat, there is a particular place called Manikarnika Ghat. Manikarnika Ghat is famous because they burn the bodies over there. So he, he saw that there were pyres kept all over the place. And at every pyre he saw Shivji going and whispering in the ear of this dead body. So this is basically what Ramakrishna Paramahansa got a vision of this Divine Lord over there. So it is said that Shivji stays in this place and uh, that is why there is a very famous temple in that location which you can visit. It's uh, It has been destroyed three times and rebuilt three times by the Muslim rulers who had conquered India and uh, they had destroyed this temple three times and before that there were some others. So today's uh, particular temple that is there was recently constructed a couple of uh, maybe 70-80 years ago and that was king, uh, the king of Banaras, he had constructed this temple. So Shiji is supposed to go to this particular place and whisper in the ears of these dead you know, bodies. <coughs> so anyway, coming back to this. The great and the saintly king Bhagirath brought the Ganga which can deliver all the fallen souls so that the place on earth where the bodies of the forefathers lay burnt to ashes. Bhagirath mounted a swift chariot and drove before mother Ganga who followed him purifying many countries until they reached the ashes of Bhagirath's forefathers the son of Sagara who were then sprinkled with water from the Ganga. So finally it flows into the Indian Ocean from Calcutta. I am sure you know about it. It goes by another name over there, Hooghly. And then it flows down through Bangladesh. It forms a basic delta and uh, it flows into the Indian Ocean because the sons of Sagar Maharaj had offended a great personality the heat of their bodies had increased and they were burnt to ashes but simply by being sprinkled with the water from the Ganga all of them became eligible to go to the heavenly planet what then is said to be of those who use the water of Mother Ganga to worship her simply by having water from the Ganga come in contact with the ashes of their burnt bodies the sons of Sagar Maharaj were elevated to the heavenly planets. Therefore, what is to be said of the devotee who worships Mother Ganga faithfully? With a determined vow, one can only imagine the benefit that accrues to such a devotee. Because Mother Ganga emanates from the lotus toe of Supreme Personality of Godhead, Dev. she is able to liberate one from material bondage. Therefore, whatever is described here in About Her is not a... Is Not at all wonderful. Great sages, completely freed from material lusty desires, devote their mind fully to the service of the Lord. Such persons are liberated from material bondage without difficulty and they become transcendentally situated according to the spiritual quality of the Lord. This is the glory of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Bhagirath had a a son named Shruta, whose son was Nabha. This son was different from the Nabha previously described. Nabha had a son named Siddhudvipa. From Siddhudvipa came Ayut, 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 Ayutayu. And from Ayutayu came Rituparana, who became a friend of Nalaraja. Rituparana taught Nalaraja, the art of gambling, and Raja gave Rituparana lessons in controlling and maintaining horses. The son of Rituparana was Sarvakama. Sarvakama had a son named Sudasa whose son, known as Saudasa, was the husband of Damayanti. Saudasa is sometimes known as Mitrasaha or Kamlaspada. Because of his own misdeeds, Mitrasaha was sonless and was cursed by Vashishta to become a man-eater, that is Rakshasa. King Parikshit said, O Sukhdev Goswami, why did Vashishtra, the spiritual master of Sudasa, curse the great soul? I wish to know of this. Is it not a confidential matter? Please describe it to me. Sukadeva Goswami said Once Sudasa went to live in the forest where he killed a man-eater, Rakshasa but forgave and released the man-eater's brother That brother, however, decided to take revenge Thinking to harm the king he became the cook at the king's house One day, the king's spiritual master, Muni was invited for dinner and Rakshasa cooked several uh, cooks served him with human flesh While examining the food given to him, Muni." By his mystic power, could understand that it was unfit to eat, being the flesh of a human being. He was very angry at this and immediately cursed Saudasa to become a man eater. When Vashistha understood that the human flesh has been served by the Rakshasa and not by the king, he undertook twelve years of austerity to cleanse himself of having cursed the faultless king. Meanwhile, King Saudasa took water and chanted the Sap mantra, preparing to curse Vashistha, but his wife Madhyanti forbade him. To do so, then the king saw that the ten directions, the sky and the surface of the globe, were full of living entities everywhere. Saudasa thus acquired the propensity of the man-eater and received on his leg a black spot, for which he is known as Kamlaspada. Once King Kamlaspada saw a Brahmana couple engaged in sexual intercourse in the forest. Being influenced by the propensity of Rakshasa and being very hungry, King Saudasa sees the Brahmana. There the poor woman, the Brahman's wife, said to the king, O hero, you are not actually a man-eater. Rather, you are among the descendants of Maharaj Ishwaku. Indeed, you are a great fighter, the husband of Madhayanthi. You should not act irrelig- irreligiously in this way. I desire to have a son. Please, therefore, return my husband, who has not yet impregnated me. So, this lady asked him for this boon. O king, O hero, this human body is meant for universal benefit. If you kill the body ultimately, untimely, you will kill all the benefits of human life. Now, this is a very different kind of a story over here. You know, what do you mean by this? That suppose somebody dies before time. I think I have explained a little bit, but I will tell you once again. Now, suppose the time, the factor has not come in where he is supposed to die. At that point, when the fact, when he dies before At that time there are certain duties that need to be done which are left incomplete. So this particular soul is supposed to get haunted and suppose he normally roams around here and there. Till the time somebody frees him so that he can come back once again and perform that action. Because the action is left incomplete. Now that is the reason why you know when people say you you should not commit suicide. I am sure you know. Why, why committing suicide is, why is it so dangerous? It's because this will keep you locked on this particular domain. Which is like, you know, like in between the two places. You can't go here and you can't go there also. You don't have a body, so you don't know where to go. You don't go to the heaven because you don't don't have no entry over there. Your ticket is of the 6.30 show and it is only 3.30 just now. So you don't have ticket entry also over there. And that is the reason why you are suspended. You have to stand outside. So what do you do? So you hang around. And when you hang around, you are like a ghost. Sort of suspended in animation. And you have to bide your time. Till sometime when a person comes and makes you free. And after the freedom only, you are allowed to go to the heavens or whichever place that you are supposed to go. And then what has happened is there is some work which you have left incomplete. You remember, you have committed suicide. So you have left some work incomplete. For which you have to come back again. So, imagine... You are buggering up your old time frame, sir. You don't know what is going to happen. (laughs) So it is advised not to do this kind of activities. You know, it's, it's not right. When the time is right, when a person is supposed to die, he has to die. Any which way, he will die. But sometimes we do not want to go with the tide and we just want to, you know, get out. You know, some people, they really are so frustrated with their life. They want to get out of it. And this could be the, this is the problem which happens with that. So anyway, coming back to it. Uh, here is a learned, highly qualified brahmana, engaged in performing austerity and eagerly desiring to worship the Supreme Lord, the Super Soul, who lives within the core of the heart in all living entities. So she is telling him all this. My Lord, you are completely aware of the religious principle. As a son never desires to be killed by this father. Here is a brahmana who should be protected by the king and never killed. How does he deserve to be killed? ...by a Raj Rishi like you. So, she's asking him... ...why Raj Rishi is coming... ...he is a king of a particular place... ...and he is also a Rishi... ...he is also a sage. You are well known and worshipped in learned circles. How dare you kill this Brahmana... ...who is a saintly, sinless person... ...well versed in the Vedic knowledge. Killing him would be like destroying the embryo... ...within the womb... ...or killing a cow. So this... ...killing a Brahmana is a very very sinful act... ...is what they say. You know, uh, some of the acts killing a cow, killing a brahmana, uh, sleeping with the brahmana's wife, basically the sage's wife, all these these kind of things are, are, uh, are no, no, Uh, you become uh, a particular rakshasa for that matter, you know, again you have a very big problem on your hand, (laughs) you don't know what you are getting into, so better not do all those kind of things, is what he said, without my husband I cannot live for a moment, if you want to eat my husband it would be better to eat me first, for without my husband I am as good as a dead body. Being condemned by the curse of Vashistha, King Saudasa devoured the Brahmana exactly as a tiger eats his prey. Even though the Brahmana's wife so, spoke so pitiably, Saudasa was unmoved by her lamentations. When the chaste wife of the Brahmana saw that her husband was about to discharge semen, has been eaten by the man-eater, she was overwhelmed with grief and lamentation. Thus, the angrily cursed the king. <coughs> o foolish, sinful person, because you have eaten my husband, when I was sexually inclined and desiring to have the seed of the child, I shall also see you die when you attempt to discharge semen into your wife. In other words, whenever you attempt to sexually unite with your wife, you will die. Thus the wife of the brahmana cursed King Saudasa, known as Mitrasaha. Then, being inclined to go with her husband, she set fire to her husband's bones, fell into the fire herself and went with him in the same destination. So the lady curses the particular Rakshasa. After 12 years, when King Saudasa was released from the curse by Vashishta, he wanted to have sexual intercourse with his wife. But the queen remind, reminded him about the curse of the Brahmani and thus he was checked himself, checked from sexual intercourse. After being thus instructed, the king gave up the future happiness of sexual intercourse and by destiny remained sonless. Later, with the king's permission, the great saint Vashishta begot a child in the womb of Madayanti. Madhanti bore the child within the womb for seven years and did not give birth. Therefore, Vashishta struck her abdomen with a stone and then the child was born. Consequently, the child was known as Asmaka. That is, the child born of a stone. Very strange stories, no? Yeah. From Asmaka, Balika took birth because Balika was surrounded by women and was therefore saved from the anger of Parshuram was known as Narikavacha, or one who is protected by woman. Uh, Parshuram's story is still not come, but Parshuram is very shortly coming, so we'll, we'll wait <laughs> when he comes. When Parshuram vanquished all the Kshatriyas, Balika became the progenitor of many Kshatriyas. Therefore, he was known as Mulaka, the root of the Kshatriya dynasty. From Balika came a son named Dasharatha. From Dasharatha came a son named Aidavidi, and from Aidavidi came King Vishwasaha. The son of King Vishwasaha was the famous Maharaj khatwanga King khatwanga was unconquerable in any fight. Requested by the demigods to join them in fighting the demons, he won victory. And the demigods, being very pleased, wanted to give him a benediction. The king inquired from them about the duration of his life and was informed that he had only one moment more Thus he immediately left the palace, went to his own residence, where he engaged his mind fully at the lotus feet of the Lord. King Khatwanga thought, Not even my life is dearer to me than the Brahmanical culture and the Brahmanas, who are worshipped by the family. What then is to be said of my kingdom, land, wife, children and opulence? Nothing is dearer to me than the Brahmanas. I was never attracted, even in my childhood, by insignificant things or irreligious principles. I did not find anything more substantial than the Supreme Personality of Godhead. The demigods, the directors of the three worlds wanted to give me whatever benediction I desire. I did not want their benedictions, however, because I am interested in the Supreme Personality of Godhead who created everything in the material world. I am more interested in the Supreme Personality of Godhead than in all the material benedictions. So Katwanga is saying like this because when he asked the demigods How much time does he have to die and they say that in an instant you will be dead. So he goes to his place and he starts meditating on the divine lord. Thinking that there is nothing in this world which is so important. That is wife, children, family, this, that, you know kingdom, whatnot. They are not important. So he is completely immersed in the divine lord. Even though the demigods have the advantage of being situated in the higher planetary systems. Their mind senses and intelligence are agitated by material conditions that means what even the gods are always attracted towards something or the other see they, these are called demigods they are not basically god god okay they are they are basically uh, a type of a, a creature I could say which is completely immersed in their activities they have specific activities to perform but because they have specific activities to perform it's not that they are not carried away by the material world, they are not carried away by things like that, and that is the reason why you will find that Indra Dev is always having his dancing girls around him and all those kind of things, you know. And uh, Brahmaji runs after his daughter and whatnot and whatnot. All these things are happening in their world. They are always attracted by this kind of a thing. So they are agitated by material conditions. Therefore, Even such elevated persons fail to realize the Supreme Personality of Godhead. That is why none of these demigods can ever reach the Supreme Personality of Godhead. That is Krishna. Krishna can never be reached even by any god by the way. No god, no demon, no human being. The only way is to become a human and from the human to become realized and then reach that particular stage where you can get the Divine Lord. Okay. Therefore, even such elevated persons fail to realize the Supreme Personality of Godhead who is eternally situated in the core of the heart. He is there in the core of the heart. Actually, I just uh, wrote last week something about the core of the heart. How, how he is reflected in everything. Though physically he is not present, it is only a reflection of his. When there... What then is to be said of others such as human beings who have fewer advantages? Therefore, I shall now give up my attachment to things created by the material energy of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. That material energy, Maya, or what we call as a Prakriti also. Maya is a domain where if you get attracted towards everything, whether it is, you know, husband, wife, children, family, this, that, money, the houses, cars, everything in this material world. We are all attracted towards these kind of things because Maya is the one who makes us get attracted towards it, we are attached to all these things. I should engage in thought of the Lord and should thus surrender unto Him. This material creation, having been created by the external energy of the Lord, is like an imaginary town visualized on the hill of the forest. Every conditioned soul has a natural natural attraction and attachment for material things, but one must simply give up the attachment and surrender unto the Supreme Personality of Godhead. So. Kattvanga is saying these words, he says that the only way is to let go of everything in this material world and to only focus at the feet of the Lord and just be focused over there so that there is no such thing as coming back once again but getting lost in the divine world of Krishna. (coughs) Thus Maharaj Kattvanga by his advanced intelligence in rendering service to the Lord gave up false identification with the body full of ignorance. In his original position of eternal servitor, he engaged himself in regal, rendering service to the Lord. See, what do you mean by advanced intelligence? Advanced intelligence means the various yogas that are there. Like uh, in the Bhagavad Gita, he has mentioned about the different kinds of yoga. What are the yogas? We have sankhya yoga, very intelligent. So, you know, you basically use your intellectual energy to reach the God. The people study this divine nature of the Lord. And they understand the Lord. So a person who is a Sankhya Yogi is more from the Nyani point of view. He is more Nyani. Then we have the next one which is called the Karma Yogi. The Karma Yogi is a person who is interested in performing Karmas. Selfless action. He does action continuously with his body. Now King Khatwanga was definitely a, a Nyani Yogi plus a Karma Yogi. But none of these Yogas actually lead you towards God. They lead you towards your realization. Realization is not godhood. This we should understand. Realization means getting freedom from this material body. You can only lose the body. And you can stay in this divine, you know, Brahma. That means get lost in the divine Brahma. But what is the way out of this? The way out of this is called the third yoga, which is called the Bhakti Marga. Or the devotional aspect of the divine Lord. Some people are talking about Kriya Yoga. See please understand, there is nothing like a Kriya Yoga. Kriya Yoga is is like a hype. Hype basically because I I really have no idea who Kriya Yogis are. Ok. The Kriya Yogis are basically those who are involved in a particular form of a Kriya. Kriya is an action oriented type of a thing. But they perform... Uh, we have a uh, lot of these great people in India who... Prescribe the Kriya yoga. Okay, they will ask you to join the classes and all those kind of things. Uh, during the time of Ramakrishna Paramahansa, he could he took talked of only three yogas, by the way, these are the three ones. So these three yogas are very, very prominent. So the fourth yoga is something which people, those who I mean, there are very famous people who wrote some books, you know, English books, and uh, these people are talking about a lineage of yogis. These yogis have come from a particular destination and that is the reason why this yoga has got prominence. Today, there are all kinds of Babaji's in this world. Dadiwala Baba, Takala Baba, you know, all kinds of white uh, white hair fellows and white uh, this thing they wear, orange clothes they wear. They all go and prescribe this kind of yogas. I'm sorry, this kind of yogas will not lead you to anything. Yoga, basically it means union with God. How much you are actually interested in Krishna? How much you are actually interested in the supreme divine consciousness or as we say father in heaven. You know he is called the father in heaven, he is called the supreme divine consciousness, he is known by only one name. Whether you read Hindi, Gujarati or uh, you know Hebrew or whatever, it is one and the same, he is one and the same. So you may talk in different languages, it does not really matter. Finally at the end of the day we are talking of only one and that is what we have to go to. And the only method of going over there is called devotion. Please understand, Jesus Christ or for that matter any of our great people in India have not prescribed any of these kind of activities. I am sure, you know, Jesus would never have told you to put your uh, you know, tongue here and there and hand here and there. He is not told. That is the largest religion in this world. Neither is Islam teaching you any of those things. Only a few percentage of Indians, they believe that they can perform some kind of activities. I mean, today all the... I was reading on Quora. I don't know whether you all know about Quora. In the Quora, there is a thread which is going on which says that why is... what should India do for tourism? So the biggest thread which is there says, you know what? India should promote yoga. And we should have yoga schools all over India. So that all these foreigners will come and join yoga schools in India. And then they can become yogis and then we will have a lot of foreign currency flowing in because of tourism. Well, if anybody allows that kind of yoga, go to all the yoga schools in America, they, they have some yoga, no, that is bhoga. All different type of bhoga going on over, they are not yoga. So <laughs> let us not get into it. So there are three paths. The third path is the most important path and that path is called the path of bhakti marg or what we call as a devotional aspect. And the easiest way is bhakti. There are no specific requirements that you don't need qualification. You don't need to become a technologist or something like that. In That that means no brains are required there. It's a no-brainer. No-brainer means you can just do the actions. That's it. So, you will find that, uh, you know, during the time of Ramakrishna Paramahansa also, we had the great Raj Yogi. In the form of Swami Vivekananda. So he could use his brains. He was a very intelligent fellow. But there was one particular person. Okay. And he was not an educated person at all. Absolutely no education from his side. Okay. And his name was Swami Adhutananda. Or known by another name called Latu. Latu Maharaj. Latu Maharaj was completely a a sort of a dunce like a person, you know, he had absolutely no brain, normal life was, he would just eat, sleep and do what was told to him. That is a kind of a thing that was required. Latu Maharaj was very, very great soul. He followed the path of bhakti. He was completely devoted to Ramakrishna Paramahansa and his wife Sharda Devi. And that is the way you can reach the Supreme Divine Consciousness. That is the way. So, he says, advanced intelligence. Now you understood what advanced intelligence means? In rendering service to the Lord, you have to use this kind of... You can render service to the Lord by reading the beautiful books also, texts also. You know, people read the books and texts and then they sing poetry and all that. You can do that as well. Giving a false identification. False identification means, I am so and so. I am the body. I am my name is so and so. All those kind of things that we have. We believe... That the body is your own. And we believe that I did this and I did that. And I went and brought this and I went and gave this. I gave money. I gave this. This is false identification. Who are you to give? We are nobody. We are just like you know those ants which are there, they are going from one end to the other, they gather all those stuff and then they bring it back. We are like that. You know, we are we are literally at the mercy of the nature the nature makes us do all kinds of things but we still believe I am the doer you know it's like uh, when when I had gone gone near the Ganga river I saw young boys they go and they jump in the Ganga river and then they go with the flow like that and somewhere down the line they go and they go towards the left and they come on the banks of the river then they'll again come back to where they started and they'll again jump in the Ganga plus you know, they have this great, uh, the reason why they do this is because, you know, our great people, we throw money in the ganga and we throw a lot of good stuff, okay, and these guys, they, they know how to catch it, and then they go deep down inside and bring that money out, and that is what these young boys do, and that is their job, they, so they are basically people who scrounge on this, you know, they literally collect these coins and all that. Uh, I am sure, you know, when you go to Italy and you find that fountain is there. Everybody throws coin in the fountain. There must be somebody who must be picking it up also. Or maybe we should stand over there and pick it up. (laughs) So something like that these young boys do. Now I was telling you how they flow. So what happens is the moment they they jump in the Ganga, the Ganga's force is such that the Ganga pushes them further and further. It's very interesting sight to see. And these are trained young boys, very, very young boys, 7, 8, 10, 12, like that, Alright. So, why I say Ganga is because we are driven like that. This entire life force is like that. We are driven along the path. And when we are driven along the path, we think that, oh, I am swimming, I am swimming. Sir, you are not swimming, you are pushed in the river current. The river current of this water, of this life, you know. We are pushed from one place to the other. We don't have any control over anything. Think about it. You know, I may be thinking that tomorrow I'll go to a next place and I suddenly land up at Y place. I think that tomorrow I will say stay at home and I will have a peaceful time. And then some people will turn up over there and go like, are, kaise ho? What do you mean by kaise ho? I want bloody... I want to have peace and you are come to break the peace. So we don't have control over anything in life. So we are actually driven. Everything happens by the will of the nature of God, what we call it, you know. The divine nature works like this and we are completely driven. That is why he says the false identification with the body full of ignorance. Our body is full of ignorance. We don't understand anything. Many a times I have, you know, people have told me, you know, that, oh, this person is thinking like this and that person is thinking like that. You are making judgments on things. Don't make judgments because you don't know what the other person is thinking. You understand? You know, uh, if you actually see people, when when somebody is saying, you know, oh, this person, he must be very angry. Have you seen? You know, suppose you find somebody coming inside the office and suppose that person has got a, a smile on his face. <laughs> Or the person is having a frown on his face. Oh, something is wrong. Okay, his wife must have beaten him or something like that. You know, we have this great habit of jumping to conclusions. Whereas it must have been about you only. Guy must be angry about you. <laughs> Who knows <does> that? <laughs> so we jump to conclusions. So that is our ignorance. We don't understand anything in this world. We think we know too much. You see, why does a person do something like that? We don't know. So that is the reason why, let us not never jump to conclusions. So those who use their mind and jump to conclusions, they better beware because they are using their ignorance instead of knowledge. There is no knowledge there. In his original position of eternal servitor, servitorship. Servitorship is, that means you become a servant of the Lord. You will find that there are great people who say that I want to be the servant of the Lord. How do you serve the Lord? Serving the Lord. Serving the Lord in the form of, now you will find, you know, most of these uh, the Nyanis, they become the prayer people who say the prayers in the in the temples and all that. But there are those who become the, they do service to the Lord. And then they serve. So there are true people who serve. So there are those people who go to the places of worship. Like they become the priests or they become the nuns or they become those kind of people. Or there are those who serve the lord that they see in the public in the entire people around you like mother Teresa, you know or baba amte i'm sure you have heard of baba amte like mother Teresa was taking care of all these you know people in calcutta the poor people and all that baba amte was responsible for rehabilitating more than five lakh leprosy patients okay so he used to stay in a place called Mul in uh, central maharashtra okay and yeah, there are those kind of people also. And there are these uh, people who uh, who take care of a certain kind of uh, debilitating disease people. Okay, lepers and so on and so forth, like that. So, rendering service to the God. Rendering service could be any kind. The Supreme Personality of Godhead, Vasudeva, Krishna, is extremely difficult to understand for unintelligent men who accept him as an impersonal or void, which he is not. The Lord is therefore understood and sung about by pure devotees. Everybody thinks that Krishna is only the supreme divine consciousness. He is just a consciousness which is wrong because in one of the verses from the Bhagavad Gita he says I am the person. I am a person. In the second divine unmanifest he is very clearly telling you that he is not some you know uh, unknown entity. Alright, he is not like an entity. He is not like a a Brahma who is completely devoid of any physical form. But Krishna is with a physical form. He has a form. He has a form and he is in the second divine unmanifest. Now form in the unmanifest is very difficult to understand, isn't it? Unmanifest by itself doesn't say where do you stay, what the place is like. And in the second divine unmanifest there is a person over there. This is a very big question and that is the reason why for unintelligent people or for those who really don't have any clue about how this works They will say, ah, this is impossible There can be nobody in this kind of places So and that is the reason why in most of the religions of this world People want the proof of the pudding So they see a Lord or a God or something like that Then they actually see a physical form and they say, oh God has come God has come? What? What God has come? No, we are talking about the divine unmanifest, somewhere beyond that. And the supreme divine unmanifest, not the first one, the second one, where the supreme lord stays. He is also called the heavenly father or he is also Krishna, as we call him, Vasudeva Krishna. So the unintelligent people, that means those who are basically, they know too much. Unintelligent people actually know too much about this world. You know, you will find out these people, they we always say, Ah, you know too much about things. So these kind of people. So they think that he is an impersonal void. Impersonal? Not personal, basically. Oh, I don't know him. And void? Zero. Z-E-R-O. He's not zero. Zero means shunya. You know shunya. Shunya is described by Bhagwan Buddha. Buddha says you can go and become a Buddha. Buddha means completely becoming a zero or going in the domain of Shunyata. Now this is Brahma. Completely you can get dissolved in it. Dissolved in it means you don't come back. But here we are not talking about that. We are not talking, he is not a void, he is, does not stay in the void or something like that. He is a person. So therefore the Lord is known only by the pure devotees so that is the reason why only if you are a pure devotee will you understand that the divine Lord is there in the form of a supreme divine person and he is not a non-entity so Krishna is always considered as a person and he comes on this planet basically in different different forms so we have come to the end of the dynasty of anshuman uh, we have very little time left so what i will do is i'll stop over here because next time it's a big uh, chapter so it is uh, Sri Ram's chapter so we will stop over here okay